Now, the Bible is the most important book in history, and what could be more important than teaching your kids to read the Bible? Teaching kids the Bible is most successful when woven into their experience. Today, my guest, Aaron Davis, will be talking about helping children to love their whole Bible. Erin is a writer and teacher passionately committed to getting women of all ages to the deep well of God's word. She is the author of more than a dozen books and Bible studies, including Connected, Beyond Bath Time, and Seven Feasts. Erin serves as content manager for Revive Our Hearts and hosts the Women of the Bible podcast and Grounded Videocast. When she's not writing, you can find Erin chasing chickens and children on her small farm in the Midwest. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood, Erin. It's so oh, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I am delighted to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it's really fun to be chasing chickens and children in the farm. <laughs> it is pretty. It's a pretty great life. <laughs> now, today we're going to be talking about the topic about helping our children to love the Bible. Now, obviously, this is very, very important. I'm assuming in every single Christian household, in my household, it is. You know, what are some ways that we can share God's truth to our children, to young children? Well, my hope in joining you is just to demystify the whole thing. I mean, I think we make a mountain out of a molehill. It's the same thing we do when we teach our kids anything. I mean, how do you teach your child to be a kind child and not the child that's bullying every other kid at school? Well, it's part of your everyday life. You repeat yourself untold numbers of times. You take opportunities for correction when they present themselves. And anything, how to keep their room clean or how to make wise food choices. We tend to approach all of those things as, yeah, this is just part of the gig. But when we think about being Christian mothers who need to instill a love for scripture in our kids' hearts, then we get some paralysis. And it is significant. It's mm-hmm. very important. And so the stakes are high. But I think we just have to use those same strategies that we use with every other part of parenting that is successful, even if we're just seeing incremental fruit, which is that it's part of our everyday life. We take opportunities as they come to us and we can't get away from this as parents as much as we might like to. We have to model it. We do. So if your love for scripture is weak. Uh, If you struggle to be consistent in your own walk with the Lord in that way, if you burn hot and cold, any number of things that could show up in your own relationship with scripture, they are going to show up in the life of your kids. Like there are many us's, right? So we probably need to start there. And that is hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, But from there, from our own walk with the Lord, I like to use this analogy, which is that I try to keep the aquifer of my heart, which the aquifer is where the water is way down deep. I try to keep the aquifer aquifer of my heart filled with that living water and everything's going to flow out of that. So mamas, we have to start there with our own relationship with the Lord. Definitely. Now, as you're talking about the including in your daily life and not making it like such a huge thing, like I have to do this, I have to do this, but sort of incorporating it into who you are as a person, obviously. And like you said, if you're weak in the word, then that's going to be more difficult. And so the challenge is really staying in the word, praying Mm -hmm. and just living it out. Right. So now, can you share some examples of How can we include the Bible in our children's everyday experiences? Sure. Well, I hope that my boys would tell. I have four sons. 
three to 13, no girls at my house, just boys. And uh, I think if you have them on this podcast and you ask them, does your mom love the Bible? Does your mom read the Bible? I think they'd tell you stories that most mornings when they come down the stairs, when the house has been quiet up until that moment, they will find me somewhere um, reading the Bible. That's my moment. And that is the first opportunity I have every day to teach them to love the Bible. Now, it doesn't have to be mornings. People can get hung up on that. It is mornings for me because once the day starts, there's not another opportunity. But every day, if they see you with your Bible uh, daily, that's a teaching opportunity. And I have Bibles all over my house Mm -hmm. because I don't have like a beautiful chair and a beautiful quiet room with um, a candle to light and my journal and pen ready. That's not my reality. I live on a farm with four rambunctious boys, but there are Bibles stashed everywhere so that when I get a moment, I can pick that up, including in my car. I'm a big believer of this. I have a Bible in my car. I have a daily devotional in my car. So those moments when I'm waiting in the carpool line or we're waiting to go into a doctor's appointment, Instead of grabbing my phone, which I do that sometimes, but I try to be intentional that instead of grabbing my phone, my Bible's right there. They can see me have a little snack one minute um, in scripture. So I'm teaching them that whole time. Mm-hmm. But there's some other ways that are less passive. Those are all passive. Um, we, I have a one-year Bible for kids mm-hmm. and it stays on or near our dining room table. So at some point in the day, we read, one of my boys will read the daily reading for that day. It might be at the breakfast table. It might be at lunch. It might be at dinner. But at some point when we're gathered at the table, somebody reads that daily passage. They have Bible verses hanging in their rooms. Our whole house is covered in Bible verses. Mm. That's because I'm a word girl. I, I like to decorate with words, but also because that's intentional. Everywhere their little eyes look, they're um, seeing truth. And it's actually even below the paint. We remodeled this house when we moved in. And so before we put down new floors, before we painted the walls, we took Sharpies and we wrote scripture everywhere. It's on the subfloor. It's on the drywall. So they're, they're walking on God's work quite literally. Um, They know those scriptures are behind the wall. And from pretty little, I try to encourage them every way I can um, to have their own quiet time with the Lord. And like us, that takes a lot of stops and starts. They get distracted. They need re-energized. Sometimes that's a new devotional. Sometimes it's a new journal and a pen. Sometimes we do it together. Sometimes we do it apart. But we just keep trying. And one more recommendation that's kind of a daily thing around here. I love Songs for Saplings. And that is a woman that does music that is word for word scripture. And it's also really fun to listen to. It doesn't feel like I'm listening to Barney or anything like that. Song for saplings? Songs for saplings. So you can find her on YouTube. You can buy her music. But we, that's really how I feel like we teach our children as we go there. When we're in the car, we're listening to songs for saplings. As we're getting ready in the morning, we're listening for songs for saplings. So it's everywhere in our house. And it's just, they're reading it. They're listening to it. We're talking about it. Um, You leave and you live and breathe. We do. Yeah. We do. And with these uh, everyday experiences, now, how would you recommend, what would you recommend for younger children who would probably just interrupt you and probably may not understand what you're doing when you're doing a devotion? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> I don't know if you have this in your family, but I have had this kind of romanticized picture that my husband would lead us in family devotions and we would all sit in a circle and with our Bibles open and our hands clasped. And that's never happened. Not right. once. Um, I don't know that my bunch is extra rowdy, but they are rowdy and they span ages. I'm starting to move out of the littles, but for 13 years, I've had a little, now my littlest is three. So they are listening. Truly more is caught than taught, um, which they are watching. But my little two are in one bedroom. And so we read the Jesus Storybook Bible most nights. They're short. The pictures are beautiful. My bigger two are in their room, a separate room together. And so we are reading a different book aloud in the evening. But I just, they're catching it. And I also, I'm so grateful for the local church. It is really important. And am I my children's primary discipler? Yes, I am. My husband Mm -hmm. and I are. We take that responsibility really seriously. But that doesn't undermine the role that the local church plays. The children's minister at my church, who's so gifted and adept at children's ministry and making it fun. The youth pastor at my church, who's the same. Um, I try to involve my kids at every church activity that we can involve them in so that I have um, that help in teaching them God's word and it's age appropriate. I don't take my kids to big church. I don't think that's a hill that anybody needs to die on, but that's been a choice on our part as our family that in kids church, they're getting the truth at an age appropriate developmental level in big church. They're getting the truth in a 35 minute sermon, which is hard for them to absorb. So we've just made that conscious choice that we're going to send them to kids church. But I I do think they're catching it again. It's lots of different ways, lots of variety, changing it up the same way we teach them all kinds of other things. Yeah. We have the Jesus storybook Bible as well. And I, and I forgot what's the other Bible that we have, but anyways, how would you, you know, like for these children and younger children as well, they're always obviously very curious and Mm -hmm. this is when their mind really expand. Right. So, and some of the Bible stories can be pretty tragic, right? Uh, How do you share some of the more tragic stories from the Bible to young children? You know, because you're, because obviously there is war, you know, there is death, uh, right? Like Saul, you know, fought in the war and he died. And do you or do you not talk about it? Or how do you talk about it? Oh, I definitely think we have to talk about it. And um, I think we do our children such a tremendous disservice when we give them a sanitized version of scripture up mm-hmm. into whatever age we think we can, they can handle it. Then we give them the whole enchilada or somebody else gives them the whole thing. And they're like, what? I didn't know that was in there. I'll tell a funny story. I got my boys the Lego Bible, which is the Bible in photographs of like Lego figurines. Oh. And one of my guys was supposed to be taking a nap. And as you know, when kids are supposed to be taking a nap, they'll find anything to do except not take a nap. And he comes down with a Lego Bible and there's a Lego depiction of the first circumcision. So the guys, the Lego guys got like his eyebrows up and there's like a little red square where circumcision we were having. And he's like, mom, what's happening here? And my impulse is to like, 
cover it up or act like it's not happening. But I just know the whole Bible matters because the Bible tells us all scriptures, God breathe. It's all useful for instruction. It's all useful for training up in righteousness. Mm -hmm. So is that my sole mission essentially as a mother is to train my boys up in righteousness. So I, I got, it's all useful for that. So we did have a conversation about what circumcision was and was it uncomfortable? Sure it was, but it's part of scripture. So of course, there's age appropriateness that can mm-hmm. be applied, but also all those parts about the Bible that are scary, hard to talk about the death, the killing, um, the genocide in some cases, the judgment, all of that is meant to reveal to us, to our kids, who God is. And I don't want to give my kids an incomplete picture of God's character. God's mm-hmm. judgment is part of his character. God's wrath is part of his character. And death even horrible death is part of the reality of sin, a sin broken world. And so, yeah, I'm a fan of talking about all of it and even saying like, Oh, this is uncomfortable or I don't understand yeah. this part of it. Or isn't it hard to think about that, that that happened? Yeah. The beauty is that's such a beautiful springboard into the gospel. Like, right. but, but this is all true and this is all dark and scary and hard. But because of Jesus, we can have redemption from a lot of these things. Jesus gives us hope in the midst of this dark world. Um, so it's it's the whole conversation. You can't see the silver lining without the cloud, and right. you need the bad news for the good news of the gospel to be as good as it is. So we, we just fight through the awkward and hard, I think. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You know, as a first-time mom, I, I always feel like I should share everything in truth, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the Bible. And there has been a couple of awkward, uncomfortable moments in a second thought, like, should I be sharing this? Like, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, I don't want her to have a watered-down um, yeah. story watered down scripture because because she is going to learn the truth and and I want her to know the truth from a very young age you know mm-hmm. um, and so anyways uh, could you give me some example of possible an object lesson to help them to love the Bible oh man I love that question I'm not great at object lessons but this comes to mind this is something we've used a lot with our oldest son who has a um, propensity to feel deep shame when he makes mistakes. Some kids are like that. And there's a verse in scripture that tells us that God has removed our sins as far as the East is from the West, meaning they're gone. But from a little guy, he would um, make a mistake and we would discipline him and he would just be crushed by that. And I knew that God's words were more important than my words in that moment. And so I remember saying that to him, like, God's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. And I could tell on his little face that that didn't mean anything to him. What is east? What is west? Well, I don't know what that means. So we started telling him a story that God doesn't have a wetsuit because there's another place in Malachi where it says that he hurls our sins into the ocean. And so uh, I would say, where's God put our sin when we ask for forgiveness? And we talked through it and he'd say, he hurls it into the ocean. And then I'd say, does God have a wetsuit? No, God doesn't have a wetsuit. Meaning he doesn't dive back down there and get my sin and he pull it back up. Um, And so that became kind of a cadence. Where does God hurl your sin, buddy? He hurls it into the bottom ocean. Does God have a wetsuit? No, he doesn't have a wetsuit. There's another verse in scripture that talks about when we're tempted, 
but God provides a way out. And same thing. I remember saying that to my sons, like, oh, when you face temptation, God will provide a way out mm-hmm. and, and it not quite clicking because of their maturity. So I started saying, look for the little door. God always provides a little door, mm-hmm. a way for you to escape that temptation. And so I'm not improving on scripture. I couldn't improve on scripture, of mm-hmm. course, but I'm reframing it in ways that their younger minds can um understand and actually it's been helpful for to me too so now when they face a temptation they want to hit their brother because he stole their toy they want to lie to me i'll say what do we look for we look for the little door so just those phrases stories are so important jesus was the master at this he used stories when he taught the most important supernatural ideas of the cosmos and he would tell us a story about a pearl merchant or about a farmer And suddenly we would get it. So that same methodology I try to use. And listen, if you're not a creative type, I'm a writer. So some of those things come pretty naturally to me. Just use Jesus's stories over and over and over. They're good. They're timeless. And teaching your kids his parables will just be so foundational for them. Right. That's awesome. Now, while so much is going on in today's world, in today's society, how would you suggest that we instill scripture in your lives? I know that we live and breathe, right? And you have it plastered all over your house. How else would you suggest that we do that without making them feel like you're just bombarding them with scripture and that it just goes in and out? Yeah, well, the world's bombarding them, so I don't mind bombarding them too. Um, but uh, and it is different per your kid's age. Like I said, I have a range, but my older two who are thirteen and eleven. I've come to the conclusion that just sheltering them is not an approach that's going to work. Um, the world's the volume on the world's messages is up too loud, mm-hmm. and I can't keep them at home with me for the rest of their lives. So right. the moments of the day are teachable moments. And so, you know, when our local library last month had a massive pride display celebrating pride month and offering books for children, really on the topic of homosexuality, what I wanted to do was just turn around with my kids and bolt. Right. What I, what I chose to do is to walk them over to that display. We looked at it, we got in the car and we had a conversation about what is that? Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? What does God's word actually say? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell them everything God's word actually says. I'm not trying to, they're not seminary students, they're children, but I'm trying to give them the big principles that yes, God loves all of us because we're made in his image. That is so true, but love is not love. God is love. We see that in scripture. He is the author of love. And because he's the author of love, he has standards for our lives and they are for our good. And so, and when we bump up against, man, it's getting hard to find things that we can watch as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, and we think it's clean. We think it's going to be a great family movie night. And then and all we of a sudden, yeah, uh, that's an opportunity to say, okay, this is why that made mommy and daddy uncomfortable. This is why we're choosing to either turn that off or fast forward through it. And not just our opinions, but according Mm -hmm. to God's word. So, you know what? The culture can be our classroom. It really needs to be our classroom. And for Christians throughout all of time, we live counterculturally. That's what makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I try to just have those conversations. Now, again, with my little guy, it's different. Again, with my little guy, I'd say, 
God loves everybody. We know that because of his word and he loves us. That's the end of the conversation. That's good enough for now. But I'm hopefully building blocks with them as we go. Now, when they see the pride flag, what do you say? Well, I never before this year even acknowledged it because I just thought it would stay under the radar. This year, it was everywhere. And it was targeted at our children. Um, There was a Blue's Clues episode dedicated Mm -hmm. to Pride Month. Blue's Clues is for my preschooler. So I thought I can't. I can't just hope that they don't recognize it this Mm -hmm. year. I need to take this opportunity to help them grow um, in discernment. And so I explained that rainbow flag symbolizes Pride Month and Pride Month celebrates types of sexuality that go beyond one married man and one married woman. And we are Christians. And so while we can celebrate people and love people of all different formats, um, this is not something we can celebrate because we know from God's word that that's not his best. And that was basically the extent of the conversation. We didn't have to go into a deep dive. Although my boys then over the course of the months would say, oh, there it is, or there's that. I saw a Pride Month banner. Um, And we did talk about, hey, when you see that pride flag, that's an opportunity to pray. Mm-hmm. Pray for God to bring revival to our land. Pray mm-hmm. for those people who don't know him and are yeah. lost. And so it actually turned into a really sweet opportunity for us this month. This yeah. Month. And, and I think um, that's amazing when you said it, it's an opportunity to pray because it is everywhere. And so mm-hmm. you'll be praying nonstop. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> which is a beautiful thing right it is a beautiful thing and um yeah that's awesome that's a really really great gem nugget there now how can we help them to uncover the big ideas of the bible and apply it to their life yeah one thing that is kind of a soapbox for me um is that our kids learning style so you have one right i have four And my four boys have four totally different brains. They learn differently. This is true in their academic setting, but it's also true at home. They think differently. They interact differently. And I think we know that when it comes to our kids' school. And that that just goes out of our brains when it comes to their understanding of the Bible. So it's been really important to me to pay attention to my kids' learning styles Mm -hmm. and to really push them to understand scripture in the way that they learn. So Eli, he's my firstborn. He's an auditory learner. I can just tell he's the kid that always wants to listen to music. He's the kid that learns really well from a really engaging teacher and struggles to learn from a teacher that's a little less engaging. Mm -hmm. So to me, that says, okay, the boy learns with his ears. So he listens to the Bible. We got him a version of the Bible. We got it on that. Actually, it's Johnny Cash reading. So that's pretty cool. Oh, cool. An MP3 player. We got him earbuds. He listens to it. Noble's my second born. He's my artist. He's super creative. He is a kinesthetic learner if he's drawing. So we got the boy colored pencils. We got him beautiful Bibles. We got him illustrated Bibles. We got him journals. So he's learning it that way. Mm-hmm. Judah, my third born, he is so fun, but man, is he busy. So for him to sit and either listen or draw, it's not going to happen. So we have to get really creative with him. And he and I might talk about the Bible while we're going for a little walk around our farm. Ezra's too little. He's three. So I'm not sure how he learns yet, but I would say a big key to helping your kid love the Bible, 
unlock the big things in the Bible is figure out their learning style Mm -hmm. and then push them in that. I was just reading an interesting study today that was saying the number one factor that determines a kid's success at school Mm-hmm. is not their economic status it's not even their brain capacity it's do they have a home where learning is encouraged mm. and do they have a home where reasonable but high expectations are set mm. so let's translate that over to school of our spiritual lives yeah do we have a home where learning is encouraged right um and this is equally important maybe more important do we have a home where reasonable but high expectations are expected? Do I expect my kid to read the Bible for himself? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Do I expect my kid to engage with scripture? Yeah, I do. Do I expect my kid to have questions? Yeah, I do. Do I expect him to ask me those questions at the least opportune time? Yeah, he probably will. And I need to be ready to field them when they come. But yeah. we got to create that environment. And you know what? As a Bible teacher, I say all the time, I have, I reserve the right to say two things. I don't know. And I'll get back to you. Right. And as parents, we reserve the right to say those two things. I, I don't know, buddy. I, I don't, that's a big question. It's a great question. Can I do a little homework and get back to you? And I'll get back to you. Um, and to me, that communicates. We're always learning. We're on this treasure hunt together to discover God's word. We're not going to arrive until we're in glory and all things are revealed, but it's big. It's cosmic. If we could reduce it to like, okay, you can figure God out. It's easy to do. That's not a God I want to serve or a God I want my kids to serve. So high expectations, culture of learning, growing ourselves, all of those things I think are a factor. Love that. Now, Erin, we're almost at the end of the show. You shared so many gem nuggets, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with other gems of mothers out there? Oh, I just, man, I just want to champion you mamas listening. You are missionaries. You know, Mm. nobody's going to say, I want to financially support you as a missionary. Nobody's going to put you in their missionary newsletter. But God's design is that we as mothers are missionaries in our own home. Our children are an unreached people group. They don't come into the world with an understanding of the gospel and allegiance to Jesus. They are an unreached people group. And God, in his infinite kindness and creativity, we're the ones he has sent. So I know that can feel really overwhelming, but I don't want it to. I want it to excite you. I want it to put wind in your sails that what you are doing has eternal significance um, it really, really does matter. And, and because of that, stay after it, you know, in some ways the Christian life is try and fail, try and fail, try and fail because we're humans. And that's true of our relationship with scripture too. Um, but my encouragement is keep doing the trying. It really does matter. And, uh, there's a verse, I think it's in Isaiah that talks about the people of God being oaks of righteousness planted by streams of living water. And I pray that for my boys every morning before I drop them off for school, Lord, let them be oaks of righteousness planted by streams of living water. So what a privilege it is that we get to 
be that mom. It's such a privilege. It is a privilege. Amen to that. And especially in today's culture, it's even much more of a privilege and honor to mm. be a mama to our children. Because with today's society, we have to step up even more to right. fight the war that's ahead of us or the war that is happening now, uh, the spiritual warfare. And so thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the podcast and just sharing your gem nuggets. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm honored to get to. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I hope you'll find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.